The Money Show. Other people's money. Not too many scientists on other people's money, but I'm delighted to welcome Professor Shibir Mahdi, who you will know as somebody who has worked in virology for many years, as Professor in the Respiratory and Meningeal Pathogens Research Unit at the University of the Vodafone Prof. Shibir Mahdi, welcome to The Money Show this evening to talk about something that I wonder how comfortable you're talking about, money. Um, is money a motivator for you? Are you fond of the stuff? Do you chase money? Uh, good evening, Bruce. Uh, thanks for having me. And I think I need to declare up front that I'm probably your poster child of a medical practitioner uh, that has the comfort of being able to earn a decent living, but is clueless about how to invest it. Sorry to interrupt you so soon, but I, I was talking to a medical professional the other day and I was, and he was saying, so what do you do? And I told him, oh, that's interesting. And uh, so, so I said, what do you read? And he said, medical journals. And I went, but, but, but nothing else. And he went, there's no time for anything else. You're so busy trying to keep up with the latest scientific discoveries in your specific field of influence that that actually absorbs all of your time. So it's not surprising to me, frankly. Uh, and that's very much the case. And certainly in my own experience, as an example, uh, after having completed medical school, you do your internship, and then you spend another four years doing your specialist training. And in my case, I spent another four years doing a PhD. Uh, and then after having done a PhD, what really motivates you to wake up each day uh, is to explore the unknown uh, and to do more research. And in the process, you get lost with your work uh, in your work. Uh, neglecting what you probably should also be focusing on, and that is your future financial well-being, uh, something which be I haven't been too great at. Because the, the the investment in the education is significant. I mean, you've got, what, 15 years of study there, don't you, before you actually start earning a decent salary? Well, you do start earning a reasonable salary after you've uh, qualified as a medical doctor. Um, I mean, the interns at... Uh, uh, doing the internship now after having completed six years, they're probably earning a gross salary in the region of about 750000 which is okay. not too bad. Uh, so you earn a decent living, but it's just uh, that you really can't focus as to what to do with it funds uh, until it's sometime too late to really make informed decisions. Um, and uh, and were, are you classic in that sort of, did you fall into that trap like many people in the medical, who uh, many, many medical professionals? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's more so uh, for medical doctors uh, that remain in the public sector, uh, as well as those that end up in research. I think once you go into the private sector, uh, then your mindset changes as well. Uh, you become much more conscious about the money that's flowing in and flowing out. And you probably don't have that sort of luxury of a possible pension fund from government. So you're needing to be much more cautious in the manner in which you go about handling your money. But if you're in the public sector, as well as unfortunately if you're in academia, you're probably less um, conscious about what you're needing to do until sometimes it's too late. Uh, I mean, is there, an, is there a sense, and I, I don't know if you have this sense, but um, the, that it's okay, um, I'll be looked after one day. The, the university has a pension fund or, you know, the public sector has a pension fund. So many people might feel as if, you know, live for today and uh, tomorrow will look after itself. Uh, so I think that's pretty much what happens, uh, especially for people that are full-time in the public sector. 
Uh, in my own instance, I'm sort of in a different position in that my salary until recently, uh, in fact, was the money that I used to generate uh, through uh, applying for grants or doing uh, studies which are funded by others. Uh, so I was not getting no salary from the university or from, from government. So uh, it sort of puts a greater burden on you, needing to look uh, after your future because there isn't any sort of secured pension fund awaiting you. Uh, but again, uh, the problem that arises is being able to juggle your time uh, to actually plan uh, for more than just doing the research. How hard is fundraising? I mean, here you are as a medical professional, you know what you need to research, you know what you want to research, yet you have to go to funders, and I'm assuming many of these be international organizations, say, hi, I'm Shabir Mahdi, here's my CV, um, I'm, I'm really good at this, um, please will you give me some money so that I can further my research. Um, it, it feels like you know, that's proper old school fundraising stuff, it's hard work. Yeah, that would be the easy route. Uh, just giving someone your research and asking for some funds is a bit more complicated than that. Uh, much of the grants that we get is uh, really funds that uh, sort of what we refer to as our funding proposals, uh, which funders basically release, and then you go and compete uh, against others for the same pot of money. So it's very rare uh, for you to be able to pitch up at the door of a funder with a CV and an idea and just to get it funded. So it's really a very competitive process uh, and in South Africa, there's probably uh, just probably not more than 25, 30 uh, researchers that are highly competitive when it comes to securing these large grants. So it is a risky career pathway uh, and even more so in high income countries where the number of people that are involved in research is so much more and the amount of proposals uh, that go through to these funders is substantially greater and the chances of success, I mean, in in South Africa, if you're successful with about 10 to 15% of your applications, uh, that would be a significant slide. Sure. How frustrating is it? Because you know what needs to be researched, you know what the problems are, and you know where there could be breakthroughs in improving healthcare, yet there just simply isn't the money to do it. Well, extremely frustrating, especially when there isn't too much uh, funding coming from the local environment. So uh, in South Africa, we probably spend more on research than most other African countries. Uh, but even then, uh, the funding that's made available, as an example, through the Medical Research Council, the National Research Foundation, uh, probably makes up less than 5% of the total amount of money spent on research in a country. Most of the funds comes from external organizations, external entities, particularly from the US and Europe. Do you invest money? I mean, do you have, uh, do, do you invest money yourself? I'm, I'm sure you have pension plans and stuff, and we can talk about that. But are you somebody who um, sits down um, on a weekend and then carves out some time and says, I need to think about building an investment portfolio, whether it be in exchange traded funds or unit trusts or directly in shares? Uh, Bruce, to be honest, uh, I've done that only recently, over the past uh, 10 years or so. Uh, and even then, it was just the take uh, leveraging on opportunities which uh, banks were offering. Uh, so not something that I've done consciously in terms of looking for opportunities, uh, but rather pretty much being at the mercy of people that have got proposals uh, and they believe that you probably should get involved. Unfortunately, I do have a brother uh, that is sort of more in the finance sector who does dish out some advice occasionally. 
but not something that I take upon myself, look at what opportunities might exist. And again, I think it's more an issue of both interest uh, as well as an issue of time. Yeah, I mean, and not everybody is interested in the, this part of the world. And, you know, nobody, very few people have got the time to dedicate in, in any real sense um, uh, to to these investments. Did you come from money? I mean, was there money in the family? Did you have to fund your own studies or did your studies get paid for? I think so many people have a massive advantage in life if you start on your first day at work and you're not paying off a massive student loan, for example. Yeah, so uh, my father was a teacher uh, and my mother was uh, in the house. So certainly not too much of a nest to build mm-hmm. on. Uh, but I was fortunate in that I did get a bursary uh, to complete my medical studies. Uh, and after having completed it, uh, the first year of earnings, uh, my father insisted that I save it uh, so that I could repay my bursary. So not certainly didn't come from money. Uh, and I think there were some important lessons to be learned uh, about giving back. Uh, and probably the most important lesson not coming from money uh, was the need to avoid debt at all at all costs. Uh, and that is perhaps one lesson that I did learn from my father uh, when it comes to money, and that is really to avoid debt. When you say avoid debt, I mean, have you avoided debt on everything you've ever bought? I mean, did you ever take a mortgage? Did you ever get a car loan? Um, do you have a credit card? I've got a credit card, but I've never been in debt on my credit card. No. Uh, and effectively, uh, yes, I pretty much have whatever I've purchased has usually been an outright purchase. It's just a discomfort of going into debt and not knowing whether you're able to service it. And obviously, not wanting to burden others with it should something unfortunate happen. Uh, so I've been cautious in my the manner, for, the manner in which I've approached money. Uh, and essentially everything that I've ever procured has usually been done, uh, perhaps sometimes with some assistance from family members, but otherwise uh, never having to take out a loan to fund anything. So have you, ne- have you never had a mortgage? I did, but it was just more for no particular okay. reason, because as soon as I took out a mortgage, I topped it up. It was an excess bond, uh, and the amount that was owing was always nominal. Okay. I mean, that's very disciplined of you. And I wonder if, in retrospect, you regret that conservatism. If you think to yourself, had I um, taken on a bit of debt at, you know, in a mortgage and invested money on the side as well, I could be better off today. Does Is it a thought you ever have or have had? Uh, absolutely. Uh, more so now that I'm in my 50s uh, and moving head on to where people would really like to have a nest that has been built up. Uh, but again, I think it really comes to the issue of uh, what I would call financial literacy, and on my side, financial illiteracy, in that uh, really not knowing what to do, uh, and perhaps being too busy with other matters uh, to focus on starting, uh, developing some sort of sense of financial literacy in my 30s, rather than leaving it to the late 40s. How much do you think you've missed out? I mean, uh, clearly there's an element of regret um, that you didn't get started sooner. Um, as you've engaged in the world of, of money and, and in the world of, of financial instruments, have you found it interesting? Have you gone, boy, actually, I missed out on a trick or two there. I wish I'd started earlier. Well, I, I certainly have missed out. And I think I realized that probably uh, in the past few years where some uh, investments have returned pretty pretty well. Uh, so I have missed out. But again, I think it's really an issue. And I think this is a generic issue for many, many people in the medical field. 
uh, is that you really don't have that type of training. And unless you're perhaps coming from money and you understand how to make money to work for you, uh, it's something that people usually suffer the consequences of uh, at a very late stage. So I certainly have missed out, and I'm sure I could have been much brighter with the type of decisions I made uh, when it comes to saving as well as investment, even now. I probably have got more money lying in cash rather than in investments, which obviously doesn't make too much sense. Um, Would you say that's your worst money decision ever, to not take enough risk? Uh, I wouldn't say not. I'm not a person that takes too much risk to start off with. And perhaps that's one one of the negative aspects in terms of my ability to handle money, in that I would much rather have money in a bank, knowing that it is depreciating, uh, then actually take going to the unknown in a sense. Mm. Uh, but again, uh, an issue of really not taking risk, too much risk at any stage. But you'll don a lab coat, <laughs> put on a mask, put on some goggles, and go <laughs> into a COVID ward. You'll do that. You'll put your life on the line when the early stages of a pandemic. Um, yet you are frightened, and it's and it's it's. I mean, it's so strange to me, isn't it? I mean, the the difference in what we perceive to have as risk, and if you understand the risk you're dealing with, well, then you confront the risk, and you you don up, they put on the PPE, and you go in there, and you do the job, and you sanitize afterwards, and uh, and and you get away. But you have more apprehension about financial markets than you do facing the unknowns of a viral pandemic. That's funny. <laughs> Thumbs it up. Pretty much thumbs it up. <laughs> um, do you have any extravagances? I mean, I, I do like asking people this sort of deep and intimate question. This, this, we all have things we like to spend a bit of money on. Do you have any extravagances? I mean, gold-plated stethoscopes and things like that or not? Oh, no, not, not at all. Uh, in fact, uh, my extravagance is more about buying plants for the garden uh, and perhaps spoiling myself with travel every now and then. Uh, but certainly nothing on the luxury sites. What's the greatest trip you've ever taken? What made it good? Uh, the greatest trip I've ever taken was when I was when I had very little money. In fact, just when I finished my specialist training, uh, going down to Brazil for a month, uh, and that was done on a shoestring budget. Uh, certainly enjoyed it, probably the most. It's probably the last time you were truly free. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the, the that's that's what the memory and 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 that's the thing. I mean, money can so often be be a hindrance and an encumbrance, and it's uh, when you have to make ends meet and you have this great sense of personal freedom, particularly when you're younger, um, and grabbing that to uh, and and doing doing good things with it. Have you made any money decisions you are happy with? I mean, are you that you're proud of in terms of um, whether it's it's set you on the right path? Uh, like I said, just avoiding debt. For me, that was the single most uh, bright decision I've made around money. Uh, more recently, obviously, I've started to realize the importance of pension funds and retirement annuities. Uh, so something that I've really started to try to focus on, perhaps hopefully not too late. Uh, but other than that, not much else. The, the advantage many medical specialists have, and one, one goes into hospitals and one sees people in their 70s still working. I mean, medical specialists, anaesthetists and specialists, um, you know, people, uh, as long as you, you, you know, you keep up to date with the science and your, and, and your limbs work and you can still, you know, cut in a straight line, the, one of the great advantages of being a specialist is that you can practice for a lot longer than uh, perhaps many professions. 
Uh, certainly so. And I think in re when you go to research, uh, you can f you find uh, people that are doing research into the 80s. Uh, I know someone that's uh, almost 90 and still very much involved in the field of vaccinology. Uh, and I think what really drives it is not necessarily the need for money, uh, but rather just the passion and uh, really enjoying what you're doing. And I think that really drives people to work beyond into the 70s and 80s. Uh, I think people that are working at that stage are probably financially secured. Uh, but it's just to find reason to wake up every morning. Uh, while I've got you, um, how are you feeling about the state of the pandemic at the moment? It's almost as if it doesn't exist. People are going about their lives um, uh, as, as if there is no pandemic. But it's still, I mean, very much around and uh, very much around the globe. Yeah, but I'm extremely optimistic. Uh, I think I truly believe that we, what I would refer to as being in a convalescent phase of this pandemic, uh, inadvertently, uh, it's a consequence of uh, large numbers of people in South Africa having been infected with the virus during the course of the first three waves, which is even compounded with what happened with the Omicron wave, where probably 40% of the population were infected, and then there was some rollout of vaccine. And what we've observed in South Africa is a dramatic decoupling of infections and severe disease and death. So the virus is not going to go away. It's going to be with us for the rest of our lifetimes. We will experience further resurgences, another variant, uh, but it's unlikely that we will experience anything close to what we experienced during the course of the first three waves. If we do, if the virus does mutate to the extent uh, that it's able to evade this other arm of the immune system that's protecting us against severe disease, for all intents and purposes, in that case, we're back at square one. Uh, and we might just go back in time to March of 2020. And for me, the chances of that happening is extremely unlikely. So I'm highly optimistic that we're in a good space uh, and we now need to get back to a relatively normal lifestyle and undo the harm that's been caused over the past two years. Professor Shabir Mahdi, what a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much for sharing with us this evening. Professor in the Respiratory and Meningi Meningeal Pathogens Research Unit at the University of the Witwatersrand, sharing with us this evening a perspective that many medical professionals share. <laughs> that is, you're brilliant. You've got an astonishing intellect. You are amongst the brightest of the bright. Yet, it's outside. money is outside your... Um, not money is outside your comfort zone because you like money. Um, but, uh, but investing and financial markets are outside of your personal comfort zone. And, and for many people in the medical profession, they may earn well but the money has done nothing for a long period of time because they've just been too busy being medical professionals, being doctors, saving the world and, and, and learning wonderful and, and various new things um, and to their own cost, ultimately, as Shabir Mahdi is finding out now. But one of the great advantages, of course, that particularly specialists in, the, in, in medical professions have is that they can work a whole lot longer than many others with a great deal of commercial success.